0: pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we ask now that you would just take our time together and help us to serve you. Teach us from your word, guide and direct us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. And it's good to have Zuma back with us. It's been a long time and not to embarrass her in any way, but just praise the Lord she's able to be with us tonight. And uh, we've been praying a long time that you would get healed and get back here, and so we praise the Lord. I'm sure none of us are more happy than Doug is, amen? And so we praise the Lord that she is with us tonight, and uh, don't mob her on the way out, all right? But uh, we're glad uh, Zuma is with us. Let's pick up here. We have gotten through the first four seals to to a degree. Um, Again, uh, we believe the first seal, the rider on the white horse, is the Antichrist. He sets up his kingdom. kingdom. He conquers in a way that is brand new to the history of mankind. He conquers through peace. And, um, of course, that has been the byword of the communists since 1918, uh, when they took over Russia using peace. And anybody that knows the history, there was nothing... Uh, akin to peace in Russia, nor has there been ever since. Uh, uh, The uh, uh, the the cry of peace is one that the United Nations uses, has used ever since its inception in 1948. Study the history of the United Nations. If you want a study in uh, gore and horror and murder and pillage and abomination, that is the history of the United Nations. But what they're doing is they're setting up the paradigm. They're setting up the process that will happen. And, of course, we have all kinds of different warfare today that no actual weapons are used. You have cyber warfare where computers can be used as weapons. You have uh, all kinds of things uh, that are done, propaganda. And all of this, and the Antichrist will use those to great effect, but he's going to bring a semblance of peace. The book of Daniel tells us he'll sign the treaty. He will make an agreement with uh, Israel for peace, but then the second seal is going to sound, and they're going to take peace from the earth. One of the results of war is often famine. Then we have the fourth horse, which is death and hell riding on this horse. And the idea of the horsemen are the fact that they're going to range uh, or ride throughout the earth. And uh, this is not going to be uh, a, a local event. These are going to be worldwide events. And we come down to verse 9 where we'll pick up tonight. And it says, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them, excuse me, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And I beheld when he had opened, oops, yeah, when I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Now, these are the fifth and sixth of the seven seals. And I did correct last week's uh, typo that said the second of the seven seals on all three, on seals three, four, three and four. But um, the fifth seal is opened. Now, one thing to notice, no more beast. How many beasts were there? Well, there were four. They cried out on the first four seals, come and see Now, John is not told to come and see, but immediately he sees what God wants him to see. He sees the souls. Now, on earth, we do not see souls. Uh, Scientists have tried to measure. Uh, They have put people who were dying on all kinds of super sensitive scales that weigh microns of... Uh, uh, micrograms of weight and tried to see if anything happened when a person actually died and all kinds of testing. How would you like to be one of the guinea pigs? You're going to die, so we're going to lay you on the scale and we're going to weigh you when you die to see if you had a soul. And, and of course, the soul is what we call uh, incorporeal. It is without weight. It is invisible. You cannot see it on earth. John saw them in heaven. Now, I want you to stop and we're just going to try to piece together a few things tonight. When Jesus died on the cross, it said that many that slept came out of their graves and appeared unto many in Jerusalem. How many remember that verse? That is a resurrection. Did every Old Testament saint resurrect when Jesus died on the cross? We don't know. The Bible is fairly silent on that. That's the only reference in all of Scripture to that event. But we need to bring it into focus because it's part of what is being spoken about here. We have then the event that we call the rapture. Where we which are alive and where the, we shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the, the Bible tells us that the trumpet is going to sound. Chapter four and verse one. I heard a voice as if were of a trumpet saying, Come up hither. Those that are dead are going to be resurrected. Those that are alive on earth are going to be changed. The Bible tells us that this is part of the first. Resurrection. And so the church is taken out of the earth. We are resurrected in our glorified bodies. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And the first thing that John sees when this fifth seal is open. Is he sees the souls of those. And as we read through here we find out that they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, the Bible tells us here, just, just something to be interested in is war. There was going to be many people dying, right? Famine. Famine. People were going to die. The last horse was given, uh, control over one fourth of the world's population. And here is the, the methods that he, the, these two riders were to use. They were to use sword, hunger, death, and with the beast of the earth. So these people here that are that uh, John is seeing are not part of the war. They're not dying because of the famine and they're not dying because of death and hell and the beast of the earth. They are dying for one particular purpose. They are going to be put to death for their testimony of Jesus Christ, for their belief in the word of God. Now, their testimony is going to be a little different than yours and mine, is it not? Our testimony today is, of course, the same as every saint in all Scripture. We believe in God's Word. Amen. We are obedient to what has been revealed to us. Adam and Eve found forgiveness of their sins and clothing for their nakedness at a bloody altar upon which the animals were killed and the skins of those animals were made into clothing for Adam and Eve. Abel found forgiveness at a bloody altar. wonder where Abel got the idea that he should take a lamb and sacrifice it on the altar. And we're down in the book of Revelation. Who is sitting on the throne? He that sitteth upon the throne and the lamb, as if it had been slain. And so there is a connection all through the scriptures and the history. I mean, why don't we start with Abel? As we've already what happened to Abel? God accepted his offering? What did Cain do? He killed Abel. And we can go down through history and we can start. Uh, Joseph certainly wasn't put to death, but they thought they had killed him when they sold him into slavery in Egypt, didn't they? What was his testimony? He loved God and he brought his brothers evil report. Now, I've heard preachers preach Joseph was a tattletale. And Joseph was had, had it in for his brothers and all of this stuff. And I don't believe that was true. I, I get a little tired of this. I'm not going to rat out my friends. Well, if your friends weren't drug dealers, you wouldn't have anything to rat on now, would you? If your friends weren't doing wrong, What would you have to tell on them? Uh, Let's be honest here. Joseph was persecuted because he was trying to do right, and he had a little indignation of his brothers who scoffed at what was right, which was why he was persecuted and it's the same thing down through the middle ages we had the roman empire we had all of these things before we can go into the middle ages it's interesting in the middle ages where the roman empire took off, uh, left off in the killing of christians when constantine quote unquote became a christian it wasn't long before the christian romans were persecuting the true believers and all through the middle ages The descendants of those Christianized Romans, Orthodox, Catholic, came down persecuting, killing, and trying to destroy faith in this book called the Bible. By the way, the Protestants and Catholics fought wars with each other over who would have the right to kill everybody that didn't believe in their religion. I mean, that's... That's what they were fighting for. They were banished from England if you were a nonconformist. If you didn't use the the, um, the prayer, the book of prayers that was approved by the king. How would you like to go to jail for praying your own prayer? Or being put to death for reciting the Lord's Prayer in the English tongue? These were capital crimes in England in the 1500s. Guess what? It's coming back. And during this tribulation period here, we are going to have a desire to unite all religion, all political, and every uh, thought An intent of the heart under the domination of this man the Bible calls the Antichrist or the beast. You say, well, why is he called the beast? Well, it's because as a man, he is going to have more power and more authority than any other man in history. He will literally rule the world, the Bible tells us. Now, these souls have been killed. One guy, I was reading after one fellow, and he said, they're killed by the first horseman, the one who goes out and conquers by peace. And we would uh, tend to agree with that. If the rider of the first horse is the Antichrist, and it certainly seems to point in that direction, then he would be the one who kills these people or orders their death, trying to consolidate his power and bring all the the world uh, together under one religion. And we know that that's not going to completely happen as we get through the book of Revelation until... After the mid part of the tribulation, and and we'll get to that when we get to the sixth seal. So we have a number. It doesn't tell us how many people are here. If we go down to the ver- uh, to the end of chapter seven, I'm not sure how far we're going to get tonight. But. Uh, If we look here in verse 4, we have 144,000. We'll talk about them. We get to verse 9. It says, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And we get down here to... uh, Uh, verse 13, it says, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so, we have part of the people who are going to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And and by the way, I do not have uh, great hope. I remember a preacher years ago came out with rapture frames. And uh, how many of you remember the old fire extinguisher in case of fire, break glass? And it had a little picture frame and it said in case of rapture, break glass on there. And there was a video in there. And you were to take that video cassette now, how many of you have working VCRs at home? <laughs> in, in five years, there probably will not be such a thing as a working VCR. It will be, how many of you are old enough to remember 8-track tapes? Uh, one of the anomalies of history, very short-lived I remember my uncle had one. He now, he turns 90 in June, and uh, he had one of those things and was talking about how it was the greatest thing in the world until the cassette tape came out. And then the cassette tape was fabulous until the CD. How many of you remember the first CD? Uh, I was a student in Bible college, and one of my uh, friends said, you got to come see this. It was an $8,000 stereo system. I want to challenge you. You can get the exact same thing with a $20 CD player and a nice pair of headphones. Uh, And it wouldn't sound any better than an $8,000 system did. Uh, I don't put a lot of stock in leaving tracks around for your unsafe family to read during the tribulation period. They're going to have a lot more to do. And the Bible tells us our focus must be upon getting the gospel to those who will listen now. Read 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. It tells us that those who have heard the gospel, they're going to believe the lie. If you reject Christ now, You will embrace Antichrist then. That is why it is our goal and our duty to get the gospel out. Well, how is the gospel going to be gotten out during the tribulation period? Well, the church isn't going to be there. It's going to be an entirely different focus. We'll talk about the two witnesses that are going to be trumpeting God's message. We have this 144,000 that are going to be uh, witnessing here. God is going to have his voice. God has always had his voice. Even in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent his angels, did he not? to rescue the only person who was not truly willing to be rescued but allowed himself to be, that's how interested God is in saving souls. If they're, I mean, I'm not disagreeing with God, but I'm glad I didn't have the decision as to whether to rescue Lot or not. because God didn't rescue much when he rescued Lot, now did he? But then I stop and remember that the long suffering of God is giving me an opportunity to repent. And so I'm glad God is so patient and kind and loving to us. And let me tell you, God is going to be the same patient, kind and loving God as a quarter of the world's population is going to die. He's going to still be out there working. You say, that sounds contradictory. Well, you have to remember what is in that book that is in the hand of him that sits upon the throne. It is the book of the wrath of Almighty God. It is God's judgment. How many times have you heard somebody say, how many times have you thought, I just wish God would straighten this situation out. It always seems that the wicked are getting ahead. Anybody else ever thought that? Let me tell you, that's one of the things that's going to happen during that seven-year tribulation period. God's going to straighten everything out. And if we were here as Christians during that time period, what would we be doing? God, please have mercy on them. God's not going to answer that prayer. And that's why we won't be here to pray. Sobering thought, amen? And so, but God's witness is still going to be there. We are uh um, the answer that is given to their plea, which we'll, we'll get to their plea in just a moment, is they are told to rest, yet for a little season. They said, there's others that are going to be added to you, so you're going to have to just wait. And there's a picture here. I remember as a little child, some well-meaning person. Well, God answers every prayer. He answers yes, no, or maybe And I'm sitting here going, wow, that is. No, God answers prayer. Amen. But sometimes he tells us, wait, I'm not ready yet. You're not going to hurry up, God. God's time clock is working. You have people saying, but it's been almost 2000 years. Oh, wait a minute. God's never been late. He is always on time. He's never been in a hurry either. If there's anything I'm looking forward to in heaven, I think it's that. I'll never be late and I'll never be in a hurry. Isn't that a pleasant thought? I mean, that's all we do around here. Hurry, hurry, hurry and then find out we're late anyway. And... uh Oh, let's get back to the Bible. Amen. And so, as he is looking here, he looks under the altar. Now, as far as we know, this altar is not the brazen altar of burnt offering. This altar is the golden altar of prayer that is before the throne of God. There's about six different times the phrase, the altar, is used in the Bible And every time that we have any idea what's going on and which altar is being designated here, it is the golden altar of incense. And and when we get to Revelation chapter 8, we're going to find out that altar sits before the throne, in front of the throne. And so as John is looking toward him that sits upon the throne and toward the lamb who is breaking the seals, all of a sudden... His vision is open, and he sees the waiting souls under the altar. And what are they doing? They're praying. They're asking God for judgment. I wonder how many Christians over the years, unjustly imprisoned, awaiting death, being tortured, have prayed to God. Not in a vindictive and mean fashion, when are you going to destroy those who destroyed me? But in a sense of justice and honor and rightness. You know, we have a word, and if you don't mind, I'm just going to chase a rabbit for a few moments here. We have a word that is used extensively today that ought to be taken out of American dialogue, ought to be removed from English language, and that is the word fair. Now, the word fair used to mean a great carnival outside of town. Now, let me ask you, how do we determine What is fair and what is not? Fairness is in the eyes of the beholder, is it not? Fairness is determined by the judge. I mean, I had a professor in Bible college. He said, I've come up with what I believe to be the most fair grading system. He graded us on a bell curve. Does anybody know what a bell curve is? it's about the most unfair thing that you've ever heard of. Because the bell curve says, out of a 100 people, I think it's six are going to fail and six are going to get 100% or somewhere close to that. And then there's going to be so many D's and it divides the, the, the percentages up. And so... If you have a question, and he used to give us a 120-question oral test and grade it in a 50-minute class period. So, I mean, he's just firing questions. Boom, boom, boom. I mean, every 15 to 20 seconds, you had to record an answer on your paper. And then you passed your papers out, and when it was all done, came the process. How many got 10 wrong? And 15 hands would go up. Oh, that's too many. How many got five wrong? And there was always three or four, uh, we affectionately called them jerks, who broke the curve. They would answer 120 out of 120 questions. I was not one of those. And that many people would get a hundred percent. Well, then he would go down the other way. How many got 50 wrong? Up, oh, too many. How many got 45? I mean, that's a failing grade almost on a test like that. And he would give them uh, once he got the number, he, he would give everybody down below. And then, if you got 20 wrong, you were still a C plus or a B minus. And it used to just ah, dig the fire out of me because if it was a normal test and every question had the same weight, I would have gotten an A on every test. But I never got an A in his class because we had three or four guys that would stay up all night just so they could bust the curve. And uh, was that fair? No. No but why was it done in the issue of fairness we have a society who wants things to be fair let me ask you what is fair you know what you know what fair really is it is when we move everyone to the lowest common denominator that that is how you have to determine fair because you can't take everyone and raise them to the highest common denominator, that's not possible. Now, we've got to get rid of this word fair. The word that ought to be used is the word equity, where people are treated equal. But that equality has to be based on a lot of things. I was just checking the news and I saw this thing about, well, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. And we got to even that. Well, their answer is, tax the rich. Well, how many remember what happens when minimum wage goes up? Peter remembers, don't you? You got laid off. (laughs) Because he was at the bottom of the wage scale what we have to understand is these people were praying not out of judgment, not out of this corrupt idea of fairness. They were praying for God's holiness to be instated. We live in a world that is full of injustice, do we not? We have righteous people suffering and evil people succeeding. Well, God's going to straighten that out and there's nothing wrong with praying for God justice. But just remember it was His mercy that saved you. And so let's be patient. Amen. Now, these people, every one, lost their life because of two things here: for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They were killed for the word of God. It reminds me of the penalty in the Middle Ages. Uh, I know my English history a little better than I do uh, some of the other European histories, but... We had a man named Wycliffe, who gave us the first translation of the English Bible in what is called Middle or Old uh, Middle English, basically. The Wycliffe Bible. The penalty for being found with the Wycliffe Bible was death. In fact, they dug his bones up and burned them. I can't remember the number of years after he had already died and been buried. They desecrated his tomb and they scattered the ashes to the four winds, trying to somehow punish Wycliffe for the word of God. You know, if the devil attacks anything, what does he attack first? Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of all the trees of the garden. Nothing new. And you wonder why we make a big deal of the old King James Bible in the English language. This is why. They're going to be put to death for the word of God. For being obedient to the word of God. They're going to be put to get death for the testimony which they held. Now we could spend the whole night just on that one phrase there. But there are many references all through the Bible, and I'm sorry ran out of time to put them into our uh, outline tonight. But it says the son's going to betray the father. The daughter's going to betray the mother. It says a man's enemies are going to be they of his own household. In the Middle Ages, many people, Were accused to the court of the Inquisition, not because they were Bible believing Christians per se, but because they simply disagreed with the edicts of Rome. Others were turned over to the courts simply because they had great possessions. You see, the inquisitors took their cut. The local church diocese took its cut. And so even if you were not a believer in Christ, you were accused to the inquisition because the coffers were low and they needed some money or they wanted that piece of property or, or things like this. But it tells us here that they are going to be killed for the testimony which they held. Years ago, I heard a sermon, and it's been repeated often, if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were hauled in before one of these courts, and you were not allowed to say a word, Would there be enough evidence to conclude that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ from the way you live, from the words you say? That's your testimony, is it not? It is what people think and know of you. I know that person went to church. But I also know what they did on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, especially Saturday. They needed to go to church on Sunday. Uh, That's not real Christianity, is it? But these people were killed for their testimony and because they were obedient to the Word of God. Do you know how hard it would be to serve God without a church? Without an assembly of believers, without someone to hold on to and hold on to you, without others to encourage you in the faith? This is what is going to happen. And John is given a vision. And and I, I love verse 11. It says, And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. And so... As we see here, John is able to, you have to realize, seal number six, these people were already killed. It's not that we just have the Antichrist going to conquer, and then come the wars, and then comes the famine, and then comes death and hell, and then comes... No, these things are overlapping. The saints that have been killed were already killed. More than likely by the first guy setting up his kingdom, eliminating those that are standing in his way. Of course, we have many others that are dying for many other reasons. And then we come here to the sixth seal. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Now this earthquake that is being described here, is unlike any in history. And it's absolutely interesting, and and we're not trying to uh, read into the scripture, but uh, I remember reading one commentator, and he said, well, this earthquake certainly can't be a literal earthquake. It must be uh, a, a breaking of the system of authority on earth, and that's what we call an allegorical interpretation. Now, does that mean that governments aren't going to be broken and authorities not going to be changed in all of this? We are approaching the midpoint of the tribulation here. When we get to seal number 7, as far as we understand, this is the, the separation between the first period of 1260 days and the second period... The the seventh seal begins in chapter 8, and chapter 7 is this little insert that is put in there that, Lord willing, we'll get to uh, uh, next Thursday night. But how many of you have heard NASA talking about the possibility of asteroids hitting the earth? And what would happen? In fact... How many of you know that an asteroid hit the Earth 20 million years ago and killed all the dinosaurs? Have, have any of you heard about what they've described there? How that it changed the entire atmosphere of the Earth, and so much dust was put into the atmosphere from the impact of the meteor that it uh, that it changed the temporal zone of Earth and made the uh, planet much cooler and all of the dinosaurs died because they couldn't get enough food to eat and the ice age came in and of course we know where the ice age came in and why all the dinosaurs died and all the vegetation disappeared and it's Genesis chapter 6 this little thing called Noah's flood didn't need an asteroid but it does talk about the stars of heaven falling to the earth as a tree cast as if it on a fig tree uh, and of course, you don't need to go far where we live to see fig trees, now do you? Uh, they're all over Astoria. And you get a big windstorm come in, and it'll blow them, blow the figs right off the tree. What do you get? No figs. Uh, it talks about the sun being made black as sackcloth of hair. Now, it's talking about sackcloth that is made from black sheep. It is just uh, uh, as black as can be. Why would the moon become as blood? Well, where does the light of the sun, I mean the light of the moon come from? It's reflected from the sun, is it not? If we had an earthquake like this, what's going to happen? The atmosphere is going to be filled with dust. Even a large forest fire will black out the sun for days. Uh, How many of you remember this would have been, wow, what year would this have been? I'm I'm not even remembering. It was 1970-something. We got, in, in Maryland where I was a student at the time, we got a white snowstorm. On a hot spring day, it was ash from St. Helens had been carried in the atmosphere and rained down on the east coast of the United States. There are places in Africa where they have red dust storms where the dust is picked up and carried hundreds of miles, sometimes halfway across the ocean until it's just dumped wherever it happens to be. Imagine what would happen. And by the way, would not an atomic war look like stars falling from the heaven and cause a great earthquake? And they talk about the solar winters where the sun would be blocked out and the temperature on earth would drop maybe even 100 degrees as the cloud passed between the sun and the earth and the moon would give a uh, strange color because of the dust and the things in the atmosphere that are now blocking your sight of the sun. I mean, there are half a dozen scenarios that we could give. What would happen to New York City if we had seven point whatever on the Richter scale hit New York City. You'd have to call in the cosmic dustpan, sweep the place up, and whoever was living would have to move out. There'd be no way to rebuild this city. If, humanly speaking, of what we know, if something like that happened, and yet how often have they been talking about this huge quake? I mean, I've been waiting for California to fall off into the ocean for years. never has happened. I wonder if it will happen here. They say that it will. They say there's a fault line running right under New York City. How many of you knew that? How many of you felt the quake of 2011? That they think was the crust of the earth rebounding from the impact of the fall of the Twin Towers a month earlier. I remember getting woke up. it was the loudest sound I have ever heard. How many of you are in Astoria, 20, October of 2011? Uh, it sounded I mean, it was just the, the loudest bang, boom. It sounded like a jet airplane breaking the sound barrier, only it was And woke up the next morning, it was a point it was a 2.0 earthquake, right here in Astoria. We had the epicenter right here. Um, By the way, the islands wouldn't have to move very far to be moved, now would they? We're not talking about them sliding hundreds of miles. We're just talking about if they moved a quarter of an inch, there wouldn't be a building standing. This is what is being talked about. And by the way, let's just take the last few minutes we have. Look at the response here. It says, The kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman or slaves, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens of the earth and in the rocks of the mountains. How many times have you heard, it's going to happen someday? The end of the world. What is their response? Fear. They're going to hide themselves. And they're going to do. Oh, my. Take the Lord's name in vain. God is doing this to us. I remember one commentator say, why would they say the wrath of the Lamb? Well, wait a minute. Who's writing? John is. Who's breaking the seals on the book? The Lamb is. Does that mean that the inhabitants of the earth actually know that the Lamb of God is breaking the seals of the book? Not necessarily. They are afraid of the wrath of God. And it is the Lamb that is breaking the seals, and John attributes their fear to where it belongs, to the Lamb. The inhabitants of the earth are going to cry out unto God. Now, if we understand correctly, it is going to be shortly after this event that the Antichrist is going to institute the mark of the beast and a control of all commodities. The Bible says... A loaf of bread. Well, let me ask you a question. If every major industrial city was destroyed on the face of the earth, how precious would a loaf of bread become overnight? And we have this man who has been conquering through peace quelling the wars of the second horseman, trying to solve the famines in the death of the third and fourth horseman, and all of a sudden this great catastrophe happens. And in the words of Rahm Emanuel, let no crisis go unused. Would not the entire world fall down at the feet of this man and say... Lead us out of this mess. Because they're not turning to God. Why would someone... Why People often say, what is going to bring about this idea that the Antichrist will be able to control every loaf of bread? Well, I'm not saying this is exactly the way it's going to happen. But what I am saying is, if we had an earthquake, a catastrophe of this magnitude... There would only be one man who could solve all the problems. Would not the earth fall down and worship him and make him their God? We are coming up to that point. This is, if you like roller coasters, this is the best way to look at the book of Revelation so far. We have started climbing the mountain of God's wrath. We get to seal number six. And we're going to start down the hill. Seal number seven is going to be broken when we get to Revelation chapter eight. We have in Revelation chapter eight, the seventh seal is broken. We have a half an hour of silence. One of my teachers in high school got into an awful lot of trouble. He was picking on one of our student, fellow students. He said, I don't think so-and-so is going to make it to heaven. Because in Revelation chapter 8, it says there's going to be a half an hour of silence in heaven. And I don't think Vangie can keep her mouth shut that long. And, uh, and he rightfully got in a lot of trouble over that. Let me tell you, there's going to be, we're, we're coming up to the top. You can hear the chain clanking. Going to have that moment of silence before the entire earth is plunged into the time the Bible calls great tribulation. uh, Oftentimes you say, "Why why does God give us all of this information? I'll tell you one of the reasons. I see the reason those people were martyred or killed for the... They were killed for the Word of God. They were killed for the testimony they had. You know what? We have the Word of God. Is the testimony you have worth dying for? If it isn't, we ought to take some encouragement from these who will will die Say, God, give me that kind of testimony. Let me live for you the way that I should in these times of ease and freedom. We ought to pray for justice and God's holiness and for God to straighten things out. But we need to remember We need to get the gospel to everyone we can because God's judgment is coming. And when it comes, when it comes, nobody's going to be left out. Did you read the list? Kings, captains, mighty men, bondmen, every free man. Uh, If you're not listed in one of those groups, And by the way, it's not only talking about men, it's talking about mankind. Uh, Every living human being comes under one of those categories. No one is going to be accepted. And they're going to be afraid of the wrath of God. But one of the prevalent themes that we're going to see through the book of Revelation over and over again is even though they know that it is the wrath of Almighty God Himself, they're still going to turn their attention to a man to get them out of it. They're still going to continue on in their evil deeds. So don't get upset when the world continues on its way. Just keep serving Him that sits upon the throne. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to see that there's no reason for us to stretch for extraordinary uh, things in the word of God, but just to accept what the words themselves say. Lord, we're thankful for the promise of deliverance from your wrath. We're thankful that you have given us your word. We're thankful that you want us to have a testimony. And Lord, we're thankful that we can tell others without fear, knowing that you're the one that's in charge. We ask that you would give us grace to serve you in these last days. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, we'll just have a moment of silence.